That is our uh, clip to get us started this morning from the TV show, This Is Us. And uh, this is the sermon series that we are in, This Is Us. And we are looking at what is the mission and the culture of West Covina Christian Church. Jack asked an interesting question there. He basically says, uh, he was always asked as a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's a question uh, that in a sense, we want to wrestle with this morning, who do we want to be? What kind of people do we want to be? And what kind of individuals do we want to be? What do we want our lives to be focused on? And so in this sermon series, we are wrestling with these kind of questions. Who do we want to be? And even more important than that, who does God want us to be? And then related to that, this morning we want to Wrestle with the idea of, can we change? Jack says he's going to change from a 3 to an 11. Now, better yet, to a 12, he says. Is that possible? Can we move uh, from uh, this stage, this focus in our lives to our lives being, uh, having a different focus and, and being better? So our, this is our, uh, along the lines of looking at our mission statement. So let's read our mission statement again together. This, is, uh, 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 this should be on the screen, and we'll read it together. We exist to spread a passion for God so that He is above all else, in our lives, church, and community. This morning we're taking that second phrase. Last week we looked at what it means to spread a passion for God. Today we're going to look at what does it mean so that He is above all else. So that He is above all else in our lives, church, and community. This, the phrase assumes a hierarchy in life. That there are certain priorities that have greater attention and greater focus, that have greater meaning to us. And then there are lesser things. And those are the, the, the greater things get more effort, get more focus, uh, receive more attention, and the lesser things receive not as much. We're going to be looking at uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17 to wrestle with these things. And uh, Colossians 3 is an awesome passage. This is one of my, I love this passage. In fact, uh, this passage is jam-packed with stuff that talks about how is Christ going to be great in our lives, going to be above all else. In fact, I've committed these verses to, my, to memory for me because I, because, uh, I want these uh, verses to transform my own heart. That's my desire for my own life, that God would be above all else. And that's my hope for us as a church and for each of us individually. That God would, even as we look at these words of Scripture this morning, that, that the Holy Spirit would breathe life into this and He would transform our hearts so that that idea of a passion for Him, so that He is above all else in our lives, church, and community would continue to grow. Let's just look at the last verse to start off with. Colossians 3, verse 17. And then I want to uh, pray for our message. So, Let me read one verse and pray that God would help us. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father God, as we turn our attention now to your word, uh, we ask and pray that you would stir within us what our mission statement talks about. 
God, we recognize that that is a work of your Spirit. And we pray that you would give us a passion for yourself. That you would strengthen us so that you are above all else in our lives, in our church, and in our community. And so we just commit these next minutes to you and pray that you would help us and strengthen us, that you would teach us and transform our hearts, doing work that only your Spirit can do. In Jesus' name, amen. One morning, two young fish were swimming in one direction, and they happened to pass by an older fish swimming in another direction. The older fish simply nodded at them and said, Good morning, boys. How's the water? The two young fish swim on for a little bit more, and then eventually one of them looks at the other and says, What in the heck is water? It's a little silly little illustration to help us realize that sometimes when we are immersed in things, we don't actually know what is causing sway and influence in our lives. This morning we're talking about priorities. And there are priorities, there are currents that come along the way all the time that are pulling us in this direction or pulling us in that direction. And sometimes we just have to pause and say, what in the heck are we swimming in? What is it that is having the influence in our lives that would cause us to spend our money in one way, spend our time in another way, to treat others the way we do, to give our attention to this or that? All of these things are motivated by priorities, which most of the time are subconscious and uh, we don't give much actual attention to them. And so this is, the, this is the challenge for us this morning, to think through what are the things that are important in our lives, and then what, how do they rank? And that's actually a not, not an easy uh, thing to do. In fact, this week as a staff, we did this in our staff meeting. We spent time to think of these broad areas in our lives and to rank them, and it took us a while. Well, it's a challenge, and it is a challenge worth our time because we have so much that's coming at us from all sorts of directions. Is God above all else? Is God above all else in your life and in our church and in our community? Let's go back to Colossians 3. As I said, this, pa- this passage is loaded with good stuff to help us fix our, our minds and our attention to th- uh, consider where our priorities at, where are our values. Verses 1 and 2. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And so here in these opening verses... What Paul is saying is that we can fix our hearts and our minds on one of two things. On earthly things, on the things around us, or on the things above. And when we say uh, set our hearts, set our minds on these things, it means that that is where our attention is. That's where it's fixed. And so where is our attention fixed? And sometimes those things aren't so clear, even for us who are Christians. Paul goes on to talk about kind of the hidden nature here. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you will appear with Him in glory. And all of these things will be made clear. And, have, uh, and, and those things that are tucked away in the recesses of our hearts and minds will come to light. And so the first point I want to make this morning, we're going to wrestle with four points around how to make God above all else. Number one, set the heart and mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your hearts and your minds on things above, not on earthly things. From the time we were real little kids, we have been trained to have certain priorities, certain values. We're bombarded all the time to pursue this, to value this, to, uh, that this will make us happy, to go after that. And we're bo- bombarded all the time for our hearts to be drawn over here, our minds to fix their attention on, on these things. And some of the biggest rivalries to God in today's world are things like Netflix and Facebook and online shopping and Starbucks and these things. And I, and I throw those out there and we almost want to snicker, but that is the, these are the things that are pulling us. And it's so oftentimes, it's so unconscious. And yet they get our attention and they stir our hearts, and they cause us to have certain emotions, and they even have authority in our lives. And you know what, uh, and you know what you'd call things that have authority and stir our hearts and our emotions and have our attention? These are things that we worship. All of these things are calling us to worship. And before you think I'm overstating this, let me read from an online magazine called Digital Trends. And Digital Trends is not a religious magazine by any means, but listen what the the author of this article says, Trevor Mogg. We often hear of brand loyalty, even brand devotion. But do people really worship brands? Is consumerism really such a liturgical experience It may not be as far-fetched as you think. In a recent study, consider the effect of super brands such as Apple and Facebook. Researchers made an intriguing discovery. When they analyzed analyzed the brain activity of product fanatics like members of the Apple cult, they found the Apple products are triggering the same bits of their brain as religious imagery triggers in a person of faith. This is your brain on Apple. It looks like it is worshiping. Now that's, that's as a person who is basing his comments on science, not on the Bible. And the research, is, the research says that all of these things are causing our hearts, that are messages all around us, for our hearts and our minds to be shaped in a certain way that we value and prioritize things. And so this ought to be a sobering wake-up call for us to ask the question, what in the heck are we swimming in? To what are the things that are all around us that are causing us to be pulled in one direction or another? And we ought to take a look at our lives and to say, what are we fixing our hearts and our minds on? Paul says in this passage we can fix them on earthly things or we can fix them on things above. 
Now, when he says things above, he says where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, it is not the idea that it is a spatial place where we try to imagine what would heaven look like and we think about the streets of gold and those type of things. No, when he says think about the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, he's, he's referring to a, a, a biblical imagery, an analogy, so to speak, that, God, that Jesus is sitting in a place of authority at God's right hand. That he is sitting there as a, to be honored and to be given uh, authority. And so when we fix our thoughts and our minds, our minds and our hearts on things above, we are organizing our thoughts and the values of our hearts to be fixed in such a way that God has authority in our lives. We're training our minds and our hearts to be thinking about the things above. Not in a way that is spatial, but in a way that is spiritual. That trains us to be focused on God so that he is above all else. As I pointed out, so much of this happens in the subconscious. Hidden away in the recesses of our hearts and minds. But the simple fact that the Bible tells us in an imperative to set your hearts, to set your minds, gives us the assumption that what is unconscious can be brought to the conscious, to an awareness, and be changed. The conscious effort to change our priorities is found in the spiritual power of habit. And we're going to talk about this. But I want us to understand that there are certain things that we can bring into our lives to help us, bring, to help, uh, us make fixing our hearts and our minds on things above part of our unconscious until it becomes second nature. It's kind of like, when you, uh, it's kind of like the difference between when you first learn to drive and if you've been driving a long time. Have you ever gotten in your car, and I do this all the time, Pull out of the parking lot of church. I'm here several days a week, and so this is, the ro- this is the route I travel the most, from church to home, from home to church. And you get in the car, and you're driving, and all of a sudden you're in your driveway, and you don't remember getting there at all. You did it all in the unconscious, all in the subconscious. But when you first learned to drive, it took real intentionality. Okay, and let me think. i got to put my mirror in place and... You think, okay, i got to adjust my seat. Now i got to put the car in gear. That's the lever on the right, right? So you put, it in, uh, you put it on the R so I can back up, and you back up, and then you got to think, okay, now what do i got to do? i got to put it on the D. And then you got to hit the, the right pedal's the gas, right? So you hit that. Then you got to hit the left pedal. But, oh, yeah, remember, use your right foot still. In other words, all of this has to be thought about. And eventually you don't put, two, you don't put half a second because it becomes just part of our second nature. And this is what the spiritual life of discipleship is, to train ourselves so that our minds are not fixed and influenced and our priorities are not being swayed by the things around us but by the things, uh, by the things from above. And my hope is that what we are doing as a church is bringing the unconscious to the forefront by looking at a mission statement, by saying this is what we really want to be about. Yeah, it's one thing just to kind of 
happen away, uh, go along and we're swayed this way and that way. But what we're doing is we want to bring it to the forefront to say this is really what we want to be about. We want to be a church that has a passion for God so that he is above all else in our lives, church, and community. And so we hope that it becomes second nature. That term second nature actually came from Aristotle, the philosopher a long time ago. Second nature means that we move in the world without thinking about it. And that's our hope for our lives and for our church. And then Paul goes on to give us a second point. The point, I'm going to just basically use his uh, um, analogy. Changing priorities is like getting rid of an old wardrobe and putting on new clothes. And this is taken directly from the passage itself. It talks about taking off and putting on. Verses 8, and, uh, 8 through 10. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old, your old self and put with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now you look at that list, that's a, that's a challenging list. Does any of it resonate with you? Any anger? Any slander talking about people behind their back? Any filthy language? Paul says that we ought to take off the old self and put on the new self. And then he goes on to uh, back to this analogy in verse 12. This is what it looks like to put on the new self. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself, there's that analogy, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's the type of things that when I look in the spiritual mirror, so to speak, I want to see. I want to see a person of kindness and compassion, humility, gentleness, and patience. And I would imagine that you want to see that in me, and I want to see that in you, and this is what we long for. So how are we going to take it off and put it on? I had a cousin a few years ago that was on a, the TV show, What Not to Wear. Did any of you watch this TV show, What Not to Wear? Any, anyone want to admit it? We have, we have three people, three people like What Not to Wear. What Not to Wear is not my type of TV show. I have seen one episode, and that is the one my cousin was on. But we watched it because my cousin was on it. It's actually kind of an interesting show. What they do is her friends took video of her, unknowingly sent it into the show and said, this is a person that needs a wardrobe change. And they uh, showed her and her outfits coming out of the apartment in the day, uh, during the day and these things. And one day, the hosts of the show show up at her door, knock on the door, and say, you're going to be on the TV show today. And they make her pack up all her clothes into a box, and they take it to the studio, and they lay it all out before her and says, what are you wearing this stuff for? This looks terrible on you. And they basically rip her to shreds for a while, and then they say, okay, now we're going to throw all your clothes away, and you get a shopping spree. And they take her to the mall, and they buy her all new clothes. And I want to take this approach of what not to wear to consider how we are uh, to go about changing our priorities. 
the first thing is we've got to look in the spiritual mirror. We need to assess if we like the way we look spiritually. That's a hard thing to do. Take a look and see. Is our, does, the list, does the attributes of our life look more like verse 8? Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language? Or does it look more like verse 12? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And we take a look and we say, do I like the way I look? Or do my priorities in life need to be altered? And I am sure that we will all find pieces of clothing that we need to take off, spiritually speaking, and things that we need to put on. And so the second thing is to find new practices that help you shape new priorities. You're going to find new clothing, so to speak. You're going to put on different things. And these new practices are a lot of things we could list here. First of all comes about prayer, reading the Bible, memorizing Scripture, fasting, having accountability, serving the Lord. All of these things are consistently putting on new things so that our priorities are over time being adjusted. Our hearts and our minds are being fixed on the things above and not on the things below. And then lastly, we keep it up until these new priorities fit comfortably. They've become our second nature. It takes a while when you get a new pair of jeans or a new t-shirt or something to wear it until it really fits good, right? You've got some clothes in your closet that you've worn for a long time. And you keep them around because you like the way they fit. And we want to find things in our lives that we like the way they fit. But it takes time to break them in. That's the idea that we bring it up to to the conscious until eventually it becomes second nature. All of this is the difference between behavior modification and heart transformation. You know the difference? You, uh, you understand what I'm saying there? What's behavior modification? You, ch- you simply are putting in the effort and you, and you say, okay, next time I drive, I'm going to drive as a good person. And the heart transformation is to say, I'm going to change my heart so that next time I drive, I drive not out of a source of effort, but out of a source of transformation within me. That's the difference. We're seeking to have our hearts transformed. Two main practices. The best habits for heart transformation have to do with Bible and believers. We can talk about a lot of different things. The two best are Bible and believers. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. The first thing he says here is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the Bible. The Bible has transformative power. I just want to encourage you guys, sometimes we don't take advantage of the gift of God that this is. This is God's Word to do a powerful work within our hearts, to let it dwell, to treasure it. Like the verse says, to let it dwell in us richly. Because when we spend time in this book, 
our lives begin to be transformed. Our priorities begin to be renewed. And we begin to put on the type of clothing that when we look in the mirror, we say, wow, now I like the way I look. This Bible has power. And so it is taking it up on a daily basis and reading it. It's taking it and committing it to memory. It's coming to church every week and is sitting under the preached word, not just so that we could hear something entertaining. That's not my purpose here. In fact, if I don't preach a good sermon at all, but the word of God is read and talked about, that's what we need. That's the food that transforms our heart. And so it comes not just on the preacher's effort, but on the hearer's effort. To say, I want to hear the Word of God and be transformed by it. To let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. God's Word says that it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So are you letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? Are you letting it sink in and transform your heart? Second thing, believers. Verse 16 again, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and as you sing. And then it lists psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. So in other words, there is the importance of other believers in our lives. Shugo talked about this last night. He says, Friends are important. Non-Christian friends are good, and, uh, but Christian friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, these are the people that we need in our lives to have our priorities in order to be transformed. JK, uh, James K.A. Smith says, The church, the body of Christ, is a place where God invites us to renew our loves. That's what we're talking about this morning. For our, to renew our loves, to reorient our desires, and to retrain our appetites. Indeed, isn't the church where we are nourished by the Word, where we eat the Word and receive the bread of life? The church is that house where the Spirit feeds us what we need and where, by His grace, we become a people who desire Him above all else. I came across that quote, I thought, i got to use that this morning. That's almost word for word, our mission statement. When we become a people who desire Him above all else. Christian worship, and, that, and it's interesting to note, so this is what direction Smith goes as well, and that's the direction of this passage. He then uh, turns to Christian worship. Christian worship is the feast where we acquire new hungers, for God and for what God desires and are, sent in, uh, and are sent into his creation to act accordingly. And so this is what Paul does too here. He talks about Bible. He talks about believers. And then he mentioned the, the singing that we do when we gather together. Psalms, that's like the Old Testament Psalms. Hymns are these songs that have theology and depth of meaning. Spiritual songs are kind of the choruses. The idea, these spiritual songs that are prayers to the Lord. And he says, when we gather together, we ought to sing together. Now, I want to ask this question. Why is singing such a big deal in the church? We spend almost half of our time in the one meeting we have every week 
where we gather together as a church in singing. What is the big deal? And I think it is so important because it is the one activity that combines Bible and believers. It's the one activity where we join our voices together to sing the truths of God's Word. You see, we don't, worship is not just the fact that we come and Tina does a great job on the piano and the worship team is up here. It's not a concert. No, we encourage everyone to sing because that is the part of believers joining our voices together. And I don't quite know how it works, but the Holy Spirit uses it because it's Bible and believers joining our hearts together to sing God's praises and to sing His Word. And in the, pra- and in the practice of worship, we're talking about these practices that transform our hearts. In the practice of worship, Our hearts are transformed from the inside out. In fact, that is why I think worship is such a key component of us accomplishing the mission statement. It is in worship that our hearts are drawn to have a passion for God so that He is above all else in our lives, church, and community. Worship is at the core of this. In fact, this uh, mission statement applies to everything we do as a church. How we do children's ministry, and how we do youth ministry, and how we do discipleship. But man, it's got to start with worship. Worship is where we cultivate the heart, uh, to, to have a heart for the passion of God, so that He is above all else. It cannot be over, uh, overemphasized. And then now let me move my last point. I'm almost done here, and this is, a, this is in my mind, good stuff. But I need to hit one more point, and that is that Christian hierarchy means that Christ is in all, that Christ is all and is in all. This comes word for word from um, Colossians 3.11. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go through each of those things, these, each of these categories that are listed here, these people groups that are listed. You can probably take a pretty good stab at what the idea here. These are groups that were divided against one another. Jew and Greek didn't like each other. Circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, groups in which there was a dividing wall between them. It's, it doesn't take a lot of expi- explanation because we live in a world that's pretty similar. A lot of divisions in the world we live in. And the point is that Christ comes to tear down the dividing walls so that not only in society do we have unity, but even within our own hearts do we have unity. You see, the reason one group is opposed to another group It's not necessarily because one group is better or one group is worse. It's definitely not because of that. It's because of our own prejudices within our hearts. And so really what this passage is all about is tearing down these barriers. That is the idea that Christ is all and is in all. Not just with ethnic people groups, but within our own hearts. That there is an 
authenticity. One of the things that I really uh, find interesting about this passage is verse 3 says, For you died, as in past tense. It's an indicative. It's done. And then verse uh, 5 says, Therefore, put to death the things in you that are not true to the authentic self, the new nature that this passage talks about. And so it is an image of being authentic to having our whole lives saturated with Christ, that Christ is all and is in all. I have heard the Christian life described this way sometimes. You get a pie chart, and uh, some of the pieces on the pie chart are, worship, are, are uh, recreation and job and our chores and all of these things. And the thought is, if Christ is to be above all else, he gets the biggest piece of the pie, right? But that's not quite right, actually. My point here is that I'm trying to make is not that God gets the biggest piece of the pie. It is that God is the pie. It is not that God, is, uh, that God just takes up a third of our life, but it is God in our work and God in our family, and God in our recreation, and all the things in our lives are God-centered. That's what it means that Christ is all and is in all. And so verse 17, where we started, says it this way, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does it mean to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus? It does not mean that we say Jesus' name every time we do something. It means that we do it with him and for him. His name represents his presence. And so when we talk about this, we are saying in all of our lives, if God is to be above all else, he is to be a part of every aspect of our lives. And so that means work and family, and recreation. How would Jesus do your job if he were you? How would Jesus parent your kids if he were you? How would he love your spouse if he were you? Does the answer to that question look a lot different than the way that we are living The point of doing it in Jesus' name is to do it as Jesus would do it, with his help and for his glory. Next week, Darren's going to preach on the outward spread, the last part where it goes from our lives to our church to our community. But before I close today, I want to just mention one more thing. And that is a passion for God so that he is above all else is not about changing our personalities. Some of us just may think, I'm not a passionate person. I'm not going to be super excited and bouncing off the walls. I'm not talking about changing our personality. I'm talking about changing our priorities. The word passion uh, comes from a Latin word that literally means suffering. So when we talk about the passion of the Christ, we're talking about the suffering of Christ. And what we are talking about here, when we talk about having a passion for God, is not that we are bouncing off the walls with excitement, though that that may happen sometimes, but the idea here is suffering. It is sacrifice. 
And so it is less about having a high state of emotional thrill all the time and it is more about having sacrifice and commitment to the Lord. You see, when our lives are surrendered to Him in that way, that is really what it means to have a passion for God so that He is above all else. That's what it means that God is in all of our lives. He's not just a piece on the pie chart. He is in the whole pie. And He is in all of our lives. So let's continue to pray that God would cultivate within our hearts a passion for Him so that He is above all else in our lives, in our church, and in our community. Let's pray. Father God, before we close with this last song and with the benediction, we want to just once again uh, turn to you in prayer. And as we do, we are turning our hearts and our minds to you right now in this moment. We're fixing our hearts and our minds on you, on things above and not on earthly things. And as we do, we just ask for your help to have our hearts transformed and to have our church transformed. God, help us to take some things off and to, close our, and to clothe ourselves with some other things so that our lives are becoming more and more filled with the fruit of the Spirit, that we really are characterized by love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and these kind of things so that we look like Jesus and we pray for your help. May it be all for your glory as we seek to do everything in Jesus' name. Amen.